0: to the JKR Podcast. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. It is episode number two of the weekend as we had a great episode yesterday with Tyler Dones, the IU uh, second baseman and leadoff hitter. Today we've got Maryland assistant baseball coach, Montreal Expos draftee in 2002, Matt Swope. This guy, he's responsible for building a great culture at Maryland, a team that's really taken over the Big Ten these past few years, having a great season so far as they're 8-0 heading into Friday. Um today we kind of talk about his draft experience as he was drafted by the Expos back in 02, talk about affiliated baseball compared to his time when he played in the independent league as well. Um also become also um talk about his experience becoming a director of baseball ops for a while before becoming an assistant baseball coach. We also dig in a little bit to his planning of the new baseball stadium that Maryland is planning on building these next few years, Um, just dig into quite a bit of stuff around his career. Uh, So let's dig into the interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we have former Montreal Expos draftee in 2002, the University of Maryland assistant baseball coach Matt Swope on the show. Matt, I'm super pumped to have you on. How are you doing today?
1: Great. I'm, I'm even better now that you uh, threw out the old Montreal Expos. That should be one of your poll questions to see how many people even know who the Montreal Expos are. Hey, so,
0: hey of course, man. I, when I saw that in your bio, <laughs> I was like, man, I definitely got to add that <laughs> in the podcast. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's sweet. I love it. Yeah. Um. So one question I always start the podcast off with every guy I interview. Um, for those who don't know who you are, how would you introduce yourself?
1: Oh, I, I would uh, introduce myself as, as someone who's Maryland board, Maryland made, uh, kind of, kind of how I made my social media and, um, reason why I'm at Maryland. So, so for me to introduce myself is, is pretty much that. So.
0: Awesome. That's kind of how I feel with Indiana. I mean, I was Indiana born and raised on here. Um, sophomore IU, um, always got that Indiana pride, got that state pride. I love it. But, Uh um, it's funny that you brought up the Expos because that was actually some of my first questions I wanted to talk about. kind of want to talk about that draft experience for you back there in 2002. Okay. So, um, obviously, the MLB draft, it didn't get as much publicity as it does now, I assume, back in 2002. So, can you take us through your draft experience?
1: Well, I, I think back then, we were we were just getting past dial-up internet, so we were finally getting into to some internet, and I, I just remember... Not really known what to expect. Uh, you know, back then, Maryland wasn't wasn't very good in baseball. So we were just kind of trying to make our way. But, you know, just kind of like most people, I knew it wasn't going to be like a day one thing. So uh, as it kind of went back then, you're just listening literally to like a radio stream slash Internet stream. And honestly, I'll never forget. I was sitting outside by a pool. At my parents' house, and I heard my name called, and nobody else was around. I was just I was just sitting there and I heard my name called and you know I was just thankful at that point that all the hard work that was you know put into uh, up to that point came to fruition and and at the, I was by myself, but I was thankful, so it was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, so going into that draft, you had a pretty solid idea that you were going to get drafted.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think at that point I had a really good year. I had a really good career. Uh, probably if I was at more of like a blue blood or a better place, maybe it would have been a little bit better. But I think at that point, I yeah, I'd, I'd had a feeling that I was something was going to happen for sure.
0: Yeah. So, what were those pre-draft talks like with teams?
1: Uh, I kind of went through it my junior year too. So I, you know, I got drafted as a senior. I went through everything as a junior. Uh, you know, you're having all the negotiations behind the scenes. What would you sign for? Scouts are, are doing their job, right? Like, how can they? get the most good player signed with the least amount of money. So I kind of went through the process then, but knew uh, I wanted to come back and kind of finish my career. So I'd had a good idea of of what was was the kind of process at that point.
0: Yeah. So can you kind of take us through those days leading up to that 2002 draft, um, just in terms of what was going through your mindset? Obviously, you finished your career at Maryland. So what was going through your mind at that point?
1: Yeah, I think then everybody – it was a little bit earlier, so everybody's kind of – almost still in season. It was right at the beginning of of, kind of like the NCAA tournament and all that different type of stuff. So mostly back then, we were out of it at that point. You're just going to work out for teams, pre-draft workout stuff, which which is still kind of happens today a little bit, but um, it was a little bit archaic compared to today. But just, you know, you're just trying to feel yourself out. You don't really know what to expect. Uh, the internet wasn't really a thing. Twitter wasn't a thing. Social media wasn't a thing. So there's so much mass amounts of information today. It was just a little bit different then. But um, just just you're trying to work out for as many teams and, and try to impress and get into yourself in a good position.
0: Yeah. yeah. So obviously you've seen quite a few Maryland guys get drafted at your time there. So what's kind of the difference that you think they're experiencing nowadays with social media compared to when you got drafted?
1: Uh, I just think overall, like we're just a better program uh, since I've been here the last 10 years. It's just you you, you have more respect. So the brand of baseball, uh, you know, even when we were in the ACC the last couple of years, being in the championship game and making, you know, two super regionals, you know, switching over to the Big Ten. Uh, I just think overall, the more that your program has a better reputation, uh, the more exposure that guys are going to get, the more respect they're going to get and all that. So. Uh, definitely, just you know, just the publicity and just the, the rising of the program has helped everything as a whole.
0: Yeah. So after that draft there in two thousand two, you get drafted in the tw- is it the twenty second or twenty fourth round?
1: Oh, man, I don't even remember. No, I, no. I, I'm I'm still I'm still shocked that you're even talking about my oh, experience. Oh no, I,
0: mean, I, I, it, like, I was like, yeah. man, I got my first Montreal yeah. Expo coming on the show today, man. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I think my most,
1: my most exciting thing, honestly, was, was playing for Rock Raines, Tim Raines, who nobody knows who that is, a Hall of Famer, and then Joey Corr, who's, I think, going to be on the Major League Baseball staff for the Mets. So those are the kind, type of experiences with, with those type of people. And Frank Robinson was the manager then for the expo. So those are really the type of experiences. If you really, truly love baseball, how, how deep this game goes and, and really the type of people you meet um, is really what's special about the game.
0: Yeah. So out of all those guys that you got to meet and play under for in the Expo's organization, what were some of those key things that you learned while playing underneath those guys?
1: Man, I actually had a horrible pro ball experience. So for me, I actually got hurt. So I spent two seasons. uh, I got shoulder surgeries by Dr. Andrews, who's the world renowned. Basically anybody that ever got hurt for the last 30 years went to Dr. Andrews to get surgery on your knee or your arm. So I got back-to-back surgeries kind of ruined my career. So I, I lived in Florida and just rehabbed. I played a couple seasons, but I, I, it just gave me a lot of different perspective on how hard it really is, you know, um, to make it to the major leagues. And I had a great college career. I never was hurt. Uh, never really had to deal with failure or adversity cause I did well, but it really punched me in the face in pro ball. So I felt like that was a a great learning experience for me at that time, even though it didn't necessarily help my professional career.
0: Yeah. So you ended up playing for the Clinton Lumber Kings and the Vermont Expos while you played affiliated baseball, then moved on to the Frontier League. So what was that difference between affiliated ball, the few years that you got to play uh, that compared to when you got to go play independent ball?
1: Yeah, there's there's so many nooks and crannies and great places in minor league baseball. So when I was in Clinton, it's one of the worst places in the in the in the country. Uh, and there was there was two dog food making factories. There was a, a riverboat casino, and I lived on a couch for the whole summer. So I was with the Vermont Expos for two weeks, and then got called up. So I ended up just having a bunk with some guys, and I literally slept on a couch and played professional baseball for three months. So. Didn't even have a bed, um, yeah. so that experience was was eye opening. But at the same time, uh, my experience in the Frontier League when I was in Washington was excellent. I had a great host family, uh, great setup. They had six thousand fans a game. So you know whether it's independent ball or affiliated ball, you have these different experiences and nooks and crannies and things that make those individual places special. So. Uh I had interesting experiences with affiliated ball and I had I had a great experiences in independent ball. So they're all different.
0: Yeah. So how long did you play Pro Ball before you decided to end up hanging up those cleats?
1: Yeah, I mean that last year with the Wild Things I was I was twenty five, about to be twenty six, and I, I could have came back and played affiliate I mean, uh I could have played independent ball trying to get signed again for probably multiple years, but you know, living in the Washington D C area where I live uh it just not many many things you could do with cost of living so uh it's definitely a lot higher so i you know it was at a at a, a point where i had my degree and i was like man I, I you know it's just time for me to go get a job the writing was on the wall i wasn't going to make it so i could have played but um just being the cost of living and, and my ambition i you know decided to just retire
0: yeah so once you did decide to retire, how exactly did you get into the coaching and administration world?
1: Yeah, so I actually took a, a later path. So, you know, I did a couple of different things. I worked in business and then, you know, I worked for a Department of Defense contractor here in the D.C. area, which is obviously, you know, really popular just with where we're at in the world. Um, and it was just a point where I hit when I was doing that stuff. I was like, I missed the game so much. I was I was kind of willing to do anything. Um, and, uh, Eric Bakich was the head coach for, for Maryland baseball at that time. And, uh, he was getting the job at Michigan and I, I'd had some talks with him about maybe going with him to Michigan. And he said, well, Hey, you know, I know how much you love Maryland. Let me call coach chef, um, and see if I can set up a meeting between you two. And then I met with coach chef and man, we just hit it off and it, you know, kind of created a, a position for me and I could do the ops at kind of the beginning and, you know, the rest is history. So I'm thankful for him and. Um, It was just being at the right place at the right time with kind of the history I have playing in
0: Maryland. Yeah. So obviously you took a few years off between your playing career and um, when you went went on to be director of baseball ops. So what was that hardest? What was that hardest thing about the transition of watching the games every day off the field um, compared to when you were a player being on the field?
1: Yeah, I think I think at that point, like anybody you know, you go through a big transition, like you're in college right now, you'll go through a big transition through college and Uh kind of after that. And then kind of going into your thirties, you're just, we're ever evolving. We're always changing. So I think for me, it was just realizing like, Hey, you know, I'm making really good money, but is this really what I want to do in life? And um, sometimes that money isn't everything. And it was a good, just reminder for me as is, Hey man, I'm, I want to be in the game and that's where I'm most happy. So I kind of just, you know, shifted my priorities and did what I had to do to make sure, you know, give myself an opportunity to get back in the game.
0: Yeah. So when you first got started at Maryland, you said that was a new job that they created for you?
1: Yeah, well they, they had a position with a guy that was that was here that was a high school legend. Um, but it wasn't a full time position in Maryland. So, you know, we finally got it to a full time position when I when I took it on and uh, we've grown it since then and we've had we've had great people in that position and was just it was so crucial for me to basically learn learn how to be a head coach first. Uh, all the behind the scenes stuff, whether it's fundraising, uh, budget stuff, all the things that nobody really talks about when they want to get into coaching or get into baseball. And so I was super thankful that Coach Chef enabled me to kind of help him and run all that stuff, and it it really really expedited my kind of process for everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you talked about it a little bit, but what exactly did your job entail as a whole when you were director of baseball ops? Yeah,
1: I think back then, man, Maryland was very, very raw, very green. Still, we weren't we, we had never had success uh, before our regional in 2014. We had made a regional in 43 years. So you're talking about a program that. That wasn't at that high level yet, so uh, you know I was literally creating an Instagram account, a Twitter account, um, trying to get you know a student-run uh, radio network, which is now MBN. I was doing uh, all this, all the scheduling. I was doing all the budget. I was doing all the fundraising. I was doing all the tournaments, golf tournaments. I was doing every possible thing imaginable. I was doing designing the uniforms with Under Armour. So I really got to to hit the ground running with whatever creative ideas that I've had. And just that doesn't happen at really established programs, you know, because, you know, they've, they've had that success and they kind of have that infrastructure. So, you know, I, I couldn't be more thankful for just coming in when I did with coach chef and he'd be so willing to just try and basically do anything to build this program up.
0: Yeah. So being director of ops, were you, um, uh, were you at practices as well in games like were you coaching as well during this time?
1: yeah technically you're as an ops person you're not allowed to coach but you know we coach chef couldn't throw bp so we had waivers so I threw bp and and there was things that you can add in through a game plan but i I never missed one second of practice so i was i was at every practice i was involved in every possible meeting so again, just thankful that coach chef didn't have to do that at that time but i was i was really exposed to to every possible thing that I needed to do to just kind of step right in at some point and coach. And, and, you know, he knew that was the ultimate goal. So it, it was a, it was a seamless transition.
0: Yeah. So overall, when you were director of ops at Maryland, uh, before you moved on to your assistant coaching spot, you did quite a few cool things. I know I read an article that says you did, you were in charge of some of the upgrades to the stadium, a new locker room, just to name a few things, but what's been your, what was your favorite thing that you did overall as your time of director of ops?
1: Yeah, my favorite thing we, we did a pro uh, we did a, a big program with Gensler Architecture Firm, which is a humongous firm. They've done tons of sports projects, um, and the architecture department on campus. So uh, I got to meet with ten grad students every two weeks and basically build out our next stadium. So that was my favorite part. I got to I got to be exposed to so many different things and um, kind of. Put out our vision as Maryland baseball what we want our next stadium to look like and then they presented it we have books we have all these renderings we have all these things so you know for me that was that was almost a two-year project that I got to work with 10 grad students with a major architecture firm with some of our donors and just kind of see all that come to fruition that hopefully you know that everybody will see that in the next couple years because I really believe that you know, we're one facility away from really, you know, doing some really special things on the East Coast for sure.
0: Yeah. So is that stadium built now or is that still in process, progress?
1: Oh, no, uh, no. Our stadium has been the same since uh, since I can remember. So it's the same concrete structure that I, I, don't, I don't even know when it was built. It's so long ago. So, yeah, facility wise, you know, we're, we're a little bit behind even in for, for Big Ten standards. If you kind of look across the board. Uh, even though we're right in the middle of campus, we're in a beautiful spot directly in the center of campus, right by football, uh, right by the student union. We got students walking by every day. So that's definitely something that uh, is on the forefront of what we're trying to do to take it to the next level.
0: Yeah. So when are you expecting to get this new, is this new stadium been approved or when are you expecting to have this completed?
1: No, we're, we're still in the, in the foundation stage of, of the renderings and all that we're, we're more focused on, we're going to build our indoor hopefully in the next year or so uh, where, where, where we almost have all the funds for that. And We have an indoor behind left field right now, but it's modular. So uh, that's going to be the first project is building our new indoor and then we'll move on to the stadium. So Yeah.
0: So out of all these new facilities, what were some of the key things that you wanted to make sure were part of the new facilities?
1: Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. We were starting from the, the bare minimum. Uh, again, you're talking about, a basketball school first Uh, we're trying to get football to the same spot where we all know what drives revenue it doesn't matter what college you're at you know the football is going to drive revenue so is basketball secondarily and you know in a northeast school you know where we're at you know right by the Washington DC area you have to be supremely supremely good in baseball to be relevant Uh, and I think you see that throughout the Northeast. I mean, UVA's kind of changed that a little bit, but they're still in the South and Charlottesville. They're not necessarily Northeast where, you know, the the hard part of Maryland is, is you have to be so good. You know, you can be eight and five in football and nobody cares because you have the Washington football team. You have the Ravens, you have the wizards, you have the Orioles, you have the nationals, you have museums. There's so many different things to draw your attention. Yeah. If you're not highly relevant and good, it doesn't matter. So uh that's that's one of the biggest challenges we have not only being at a school where maybe baseball is not a blue blood like it is at carolina or lsu or, or florida state or some of those places um we're just trying to continue to move that needle to where we're, we're establishing this culture and this this type of program that that we're viewed that way
0: yeah so how one last question talking about the director of ops uh before we move on to some other stuff How did your job as director of ops lead to that assistant coaching spot that you got a few years ago?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it was one of those things I got into it knowing I was going to coach. So, you know, it it was kind of my conversations to start were, you know, let me, let me learn this. And I I think any head coach will tell you when they were assistant, maybe that was the easier part because they could focus on baseball and a few other things. But when they become a head coach, they have no idea the amount of administrative slash fundraising slash whatever else duties come with being a head coach behind the scenes. So, you know, that was imperative for me to make sure I do that first. And, you know, especially being a 30, getting back into the game, I wanted to do that first. And uh, I think it just has prepared me, you know, the coaching is not really the hard part. It was all the other stuff. So, so I was glad that I was kind of prepared, you know, backwards, but, you know, instead of trying to do it on the fly.
0: Yeah. So is your goal to end up here these next few years to be a head coach in college baseball?
1: No, not necessarily. Obviously I I love Maryland. Uh, You know, like I said, to start it, what would I describe myself as Maryland made? Or, you know, if you follow me on, on social medias, you know, I was born in uh, five minutes away from Maryland. Uh, I was, my parents went to Maryland. They got married in a chapel on campus at Maryland. So, you you would be hard pressed to find anybody as passionate as I am about the university and about the program and all that. So for right now, my goal is definitely um, I'm in a great spot. I, you know, I live in Annapolis. I I live close to where I grew up. I went to DeMatha high school, which is also on route one, right by Maryland. So for me, I'm in a great spot. I don't, I don't have any ambitions necessarily to just be a head coach or chase money or major league baseball jobs. I'm just in a, in a great position. And, um, obviously I would love to be, be a head coach at Maryland one day, but, you know, Rob's done a great job and, um, you know, that's just, that's just kind of something that we'll see what happens down the road for sure.
0: Yeah. I love to, I love to hear that. Like I said before, I, I love hearing that, uh, school pride, uh, making, making sure you stay there and you, you love your school, but, um, I kind of want to move into the recruiting process a little bit. Obviously, usually when I bring in athletes, I ask them how their recruiting process went just in terms of the player side of things. So I kind of want to switch it around and see how it is from the team side. Mm-hmm. So w- when exactly do you guys start looking at certain grade classes? Because lately I've been seeing there's a lot of class of 2024, class of 2025 that are already committing to schools. So are you guys looking at players that early?
1: Yeah, we ha- we actually have a couple 25s. But, I, you know, I'll say it and I'm not afraid to say it on a podcast or anywhere nationally. I I, I hate how early it is. Um, I'm not a big fan of how early the recruiting process has gone. Uh, We got eighth graders committing to some schools and and I just, I I don't, I don't think it's necessary. So we'll see how it goes. But at the same time, people need to understand that, you know, I'm, you know, this is my job and, you know, my livelihood and and how I pay my bills and my, my kids and all that stuff. So if you don't kind of recruit that way, if you're not doing it, you know, you could be kind of left behind even though I don't necessarily totally buy in and agree with how early it's gone. So yes, unfortunately, you know, we do have 24s, we do have 25s, but I'm hoping the NCAA or, or something that we can move towards kind of pushing it back a little bit just because, you know, I think eighth graders and freshmen in high school should be worried about where they're going to class and enjoying their experience, not necessarily trying to pick a college.
0: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Like obviously to stay with stay in with the competition, you have to do that. But as eighth graders and freshmen and sophomores, them committing to colleges, I feel like that's a little early. So I completely agree with you there. Um, but obviously you, you guys aren't like able to contact the players until their junior year. Right. Or is that just for football and basketball?
1: No. Yeah. we We can't, we can't contact guys, you know, mostly the recruiting is done through, you know, relationships with coaches, camps, stuff like that. So, Any any kid can contact you, so they can call you. You just can't call or text them.
0: Okay, okay. So for some, like let's say there's a player that you, his coach, you don't really have that great a relationship with. So how do you go about contacting, like let's say his high school coach?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of moved away from the high school thing. It's you know unfortunately from whether it's PBR or Perfect Game or all this stuff. There isn't anybody in the Northeast that we don't necessarily know or have a relationship with, uh, you know, how to get in touch with someone. That's just it's just kind of the way it is. So, um, you know, if we know the high school, if we know the summer coach, whatever it is, you know, we do we try to do a lot of things through camp, to be honest with you, still, because the more kids we can get to camp and target, the more they can get the experience of Maryland, the campus, the feel. Uh, they may not like that it's a big campus. They might not like that we're six miles from D.C. So the more we can kind of target our guys to get to camp and, and have that experience, the more we can kind of get a feel for the kids' personality in person uh, and all that different type of stuff. And that's what's kind of the advantage, the different, totally difference between Indiana and Maryland is, you know, we're, we're literally less than 20 miles from three airports almost um so we can we have a lot of exposure uh to a lot of different types of players and and can get in a car and be in New York in four hours so I I don't have to go to a big radius to type to, to recruit to to get the type of kids that we want to Maryland
0: yeah so once you do get those kids on campus and you're actually sitting down talking to some of these recruits what is your main pitch to those guys
1: I'm just trying to find competitors. To be honest with you, we're we're more of your like your blue collar type of program. If you're not going to compete, you can't play for us, and that's just what it is. I'm, we're Northeast people in general are aggressive, we're competitive, and that's that's kind of how our program is. So, first and foremost, we're identifying competitors. Uh, whether you're playing me in ping pong or you want to go out in my backyard and play basketball, I want competitors. I don't care what you're doing in the classroom, whatever. So. That's always going to be number one for us. We, we do the recruit process probably a little bit differently, uh, which I'm, you know, I'm not going to talk much about. We, but we try to delve in more into the character and, and try to really figure out what makes the kid tick. Um, you know, After my first conversation about you know, recruiting about Maryland, I'm not selling Maryland. I'm not selling Under Armour. I'm not selling facilities. I'm trying to really understand what makes this kid tick, why is he competing, what drives him, And I'm really trying to understand about the kid. And I I think that resonates um, with a lot of the guys that we get here.
0: Yeah. So I think you touched on this here a few minutes ago, but what would be the hardest thing throughout the entire, the the entire recruiting process? What do you find is like the hardest thing?
1: Well, for us right now, I mean, we, we finish, we finish second a lot sometimes, you know, and I think the unfortunate part about social media with, facilities or or nostalgia or blue bloods you know you may out recruit certain schools but you're not always going to get that kid right so you know for me we try to recruit and and try to get the kid to understand hey you know we may not be a b and c school but do you think that we're going to help you become the best version of yourself as a person and as a baseball player you know and if you feel like we're going to become, you know, the best version of that, you know, then we're the school for you, regardless of, you know, facilities and everything else. And to be honest with you, man, when a, when a kid's 14 and 15 years old and they're making that decision, it's really, really hard. It really is. So obviously we've done well, man. We had the seventh ranked recruiting class in 2019 that, that, you know, at Maryland, that's literally probably unheard of compared to who we were doing that against. And you know, we're doing really well now. So, you know, we've done a good job recruiting, but I, I wish it was more about the right fit in the right situation more than the nostalgia of the school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that, that top recruiting class ranked number seven. Was that 2019 or 2020?
1: Yeah, it was 2019.
0: 2019. So how did that recruiting class come about? Like when did that, you guys get your first uh, recruit and um, how did you guys build that recruiting class?
1: Well, man, I mean, honestly, I've been here. I've been here 10 years. So, I mean, I I, that's great that they ranked at seventh. What I would be more interested in, you know, is is ranking these recruiting classes when they're gone. (laughs) Yeah, So, I, I think that would be more interesting because, you know, give you an example, 2015, right? We're one game away from Omaha. Uh, we have Brandon Lau on that team who hit 39 home runs last year. We have Lamont Wade who hit almost 20 home runs for the Giants last year. We have Mike Schworn who's been in the big league. So none of those guys were drafted at of high school. None of those guys were highly touted. So, And we had eight kids drafted that year, eight juniors off one team. So th- those are the types of teams that I think sometimes, yes, it's fun for us to kind of diagnose you're seeing that right now with kind of the combine in the NFL. It's it's fun to watch and kind of project, but I would almost rather be judged on on what the the classes are doing by the time they leave than when they're coming in.
0: Yeah, for hundred percent. Um, so I kind of want to move into the Maryland culture. I think mm-hmm. I've kind of gotten a feel for this already just by talking to you for this twenty five minutes. Yeah. But just being, a, you guys have definitely made a name for yourself these past few years, and just as you being part of the program for ten years. What do you kind of think the main reason is for this?
1: Well, I mean, the, the good thing is, so Rob Vaughn's our head coach. Now uh, we came in together. So, you know, he played for, for coach chef at Kansas state when, when chef was, was a uh, coach there. So me and Rob have been together for 10 years. So we we've been through every possible up and down and, and, and building of a program that was literally nothing before that. And I can say that cause I played here. So you know, we've really just each year honed in on, you know, the little things and, and culture has always been at the forefront. And Rob's very poignant. He's a great speaker, but um, you know, just, just sticking to our pillars, you know, you know, we have a mission statement, but then our three pillars are, are toughness, um, ownership and growth mindset. And just, it's not some long winded thing. It's not some, you know, long dissertation, but the, every one of our players can, can tell you what that means and our pillars and, you know, if you can't do that, then you can't play here. And, and it's not for everybody, but I think we've done a great job, starting with Coach Chef when he got here, changing the program. Even with Eric Bakich, you know, when he was here, started to turn the tide, at least recruiting. But we really didn't have success until he left and Coach Chef came. And just to now really honing in on the small details and, and and just having where actually someone respects that the fact that Maryland's coming into play, you know what you're going to get every single day.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you guys are definitely you guys are definitely the top the talk of the Big Ten this year. I mean, I remember going through the preseason rankings of each position, and I think I mean I believe I saw like a, a Maryland guy in the top ten, top fifteen for almost every position.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's that's all you're trying to do as a program is bring in really good kids. You're trying to build depth, and you're trying to to build it where you're not having a few good players. You're you're building it so if someone goes down or really your, your seven, eight, nine can still, can still do something to help you win a game.
0: Yeah. So let's transition a little bit. Um, I saw in 2010, you were nominated for man of the year. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I I've done a lot for cancer over the years. So my, my sister died of cancer in her thirties when I was in my twenties. Um, so it was something that hit hard, you know, for me, my mom has the same cancer. My sister died of right now. So it was always something that I I transitioned a little bit with the kids versus cancer because listen, how how can you not be uh, really heartfelt about kids with cancer? So we've done a lot with that organization uh, with Chase Jones who started that out of North Carolina. Uh, We try to, I'm an ambassador for them still. And um, you know, I've done a lot with the LLS, which is a leukemia and lymphoma society, which, which I was nominated back then. So you know, as busy as I am, I'm just always trying to understand, you know, where I came from and what I've been through and, and just try to get the guys sometimes out of themselves. You know, it's hard for an 18 to 22 year old kid that's never really been through anything to understand that, you know, a kid with cancer or someone with cancer um, is not really in their mind frame when they're in college. So we try to do a lot of different charity events to, to make sure the guys stay grounded
0: yeah and i saw you raise over a hundred thousand dollars
1: yeah i mean i think from at this point man it's it's been you know two three four hundred thousand at this point from the lls to kids versus cancer all that stuff man we've poured our hearts into just trying to raise every single dollar we can so we we've raised a lot and it's not even really about the money but you know we we've tried to do the best we can to just help in whatever way we can
0: yeah I i love to hear that type of stuff uh, but just to end off the podcast, I want to move into Maryland-made hitting. Mm-hmm. So obviously you said that was, that's was that been your social media handles. Um, So what exactly is Maryland-made hitting? Can you kind of explain that for the listeners who don't know exactly what that is?
1: Yeah, so so for me, I, I really started that early on, uh, was more for recruiting. I felt like in college baseball, uh, even still to this point, you don't see a lot of day-to-day in and out of college baseball. You don't see a lot of video. I think social media has definitely helped with that. Right. But you don't see a lot of day to day video or content from people that are coaching or doing it. So for me, it was like, Hey, what can I do differently from a recruiting standpoint to show kids what we're doing? And that's really how it started. Uh, It's kind of taken on a different life of its own with, with the hitting Twitter hashtag stuff. And me getting roped into some of this other stuff. But really, that was my premise and why I did it at first. And, you know, listen, I'm, I'm a baseball fan. I love baseball. I can talk baseball. It's not for everybody. Not and Most coaches aren't on there because that's not them. You know, for me, when I post stuff, it isn't to get likes. I don't care what people think about me. Trust me, you have no idea how much backlash I'd get on a day-to-day basis from a post, but I don't really care. I mean, I'm, I'm here to – you know, expose our program in a positive way. I'm here to help people, help coaches, and try to just put out decent content so we can move the game forward. So that that's really why I do it. It's it's not really anything other than that. But that that's kind of how it started back in the yeah. day.
0: Yeah, So the the website says there's online training as well. So has it be, kind of become its own separate entity besides helping Maryland recruiting?
1: You know, I I, I kind of did the same thing. I just I just built a website just in case you know, that I wanted to do stuff for, for not necessarily for recruiting or I didn't know it was going to take me. And honestly, since I built the website, I haven't done one thing with it just because okay. I don't have the time. So for me, no, there, there isn't anything that I've done. There's, there's plenty of websites out there that, uh, will post drills. will we'll post content. We'll do all that and, and have it be like a paid service. Um, right now I just, I don't have the time for that. My, my pro clients that I work with, um, it's not a moneymaker for me it's it's mostly Maryland guys that I just want to see them you know fulfill their dreams and be good so I don't know what that's going to be down the road you know if, if I had somebody that could do a lot of that stuff it could probably or somebody that was good with marketing or video or stuff I probably could do a lot better but you know right now I'm just just kind of focused on what I got going on with the team
0: yeah of course And then you talk about your pro clients. So do you still, do you still train Brandon Lowe and Lamont uh, Wade in the off season?
1: So I, you know, obviously I still keep in contact with Brandon, but you know, he's done a great job with Hunter Bledsoe who's his agent down in Nashville. And he lives down there and that's kind of his main point of contact. So, you know, I I don't, I don't talk a lot of specifics with Brandon swing. Uh, We definitely keep in contact, but it's not something that, you know, I'm advising him on what he's doing on a day-to-day basis. You know, we coached him here and, he had a great career and and everything he's done after that is, has been fantastic, but it's mostly, you know, the minor league guys. It's, you know, definitely Lamont Wade who, who, who made a splash last year. Um, some other pro guys, you know, major league guys that have come through um, that come and hit that didn't go to Maryland. So uh, that's kind of just something that becomes organic through social media and all that. But we, we basically have an open door policy. We had, I mean, Jeff McNeil, I think it was like four years ago, Jeff McNeil came and hit here in off season. So we kind of have an open door policy, whether you played in Maryland or not. And anybody wants, wants help. I'm, I'm happy to help them.
0: Yeah. So when you're, when you're training with those pro guys, obviously they've been training for years and years, um, just baseball wise and hitting, what are some things that you kind of focus on with professional guys, other than what you would when you're actually teaching somebody how to hit?
1: Well, they're, they're completely different. So, you know, the way I,
0: I work with hitters
1: is, is everybody is their own individual. I think a lot of times when you see on hitting Twitter, uh, people are fitting a narrative to, to have it be one type of swing or one way, and that's just not how the game is played. So, you know, whoever it is, a minor leaguer or a major leaguer, I try to assess them individually based off what they do well, what their body wants to do, and then kind of attack it from there. So I, I would almost – you know, equate it to an artist just having kind of like a blank canvas and you, and what you're trying to do, you're just trying to fit that, that picture to what fits for them. So uh everybody's their own individual case, but you know, it's, it's just with Lamont Wade, it was, it was something that he, you know, I think when guys are in the minor leagues early, they're doing their weightlifting camps, they're doing a lot, they're in instructs, it's all that. So Lamont kind of came back last year and last offseason and was like, hey, you know, I'm not in a great place. I said, hey, let's come down. Let's go over a presentation. Let's talk. And that's how that kind of happened. But, you know, to each to each situation is different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned Brandon Lowe's agent there a few minutes ago. So with you being a big part of the the baseball program and you having guys drafted, um, are you dealing with advisors and agents at all? Yes. You, okay, so um, how exactly do how exactly do you have those relationships with those
1: agents? Well, I think everything's built on relationships, right? So back in the day, uh, let's just say five years ago, it was—I can't speak for other colleges, but I, I'm pretty sure that most people, coaches, were trying to distance themselves in fear of friction or what could happen. And this entire life in this business and sports is built on relationships, so. Just the, the, the strictly the law of it is everybody is entitled to representation, right? So take out the, the, the logistics of compliance and people signing things and all that. Like people are, are entitled uh, representation. So the more that you have quality relationships with everyone from uh, Little League to high school to summer ball to college to pro ball to agents to Major League Baseball, uh, the better your program is going to be. So for us, it's it's let's let's find people that we trust that are good people that are good in the game, and you know, when that relationship you know is necessary, that that we have uh, some idea of of people that are are good in the industry and people that you know we don't really necessarily trust.
0: Yeah, of course. Like I said, like that's one of the main reasons I started the podcast was just to build relationships with agents coaches players because i'm trying once i graduate here from iu i'm hoping to become an mlbpa certified agent so that's just been a dream of mine for a very long time so back when i started the podcast probably about a year ago that was one of the besides the goal of helping uh just provide marketing for baseball help helping players uh build their brands and just showing themselves off through a podcast um that was one of my main goals was just to build
1: relationships with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think you're starting off on the right foot already. I mean, just just you putting yourself out here, you know, exposing yourself to coaches. I mean, there there's definitely – it's a, there's big agencies. There's small agencies. And you know what? There, there's a fit for everybody. You know, you can go to Boris. You can go to Rosenhaus. You can go to, you know, Hunter Bledsoe. You can go to CAA. You can go to uh, Rock Nation. You can go anywhere. You know, it, it, there's literally – all types of fits for all different people. So I think once you kind of build those relationships there, um, you can kind of find your niche for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, that's that's, really, that's what I'm hoping to do. Good. Um, so one last question before we end off though, um, back to the, just the question about agents and advisors has NIL, have you dealt with any of that so far with this being the first actual baseball season with NIL?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I, here's the thing, man, young kids and, and you're seeing it probably with your play. Everybody's excited. Right. So someone becomes a bar stool athlete or, 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 they can get with a hydration company. Like, it's great. I, I just think we're all kind of feeling it out right now. Uh, anything that helps the players make money or, you know, better themselves as people as, as, as in life, I'm all for. So right now, I think we're just in a transition phase where I, we don't know much about it. We're trying to see kind of what happens. And I, I think Everybody's kind of basing it off of what they've seen influencers do on social media, either Instagram or Twitter or all that stuff. And um, the NCAA is a little bit behind with kind of just seeing what happens, you know. But like I said, any anything that helps a player, um, you know, I'm all for. We're just, I think we're just going to be in a transition phase
0: for the next couple of years. Yeah, of course. Well, Coach, I'm super. I'm, I'm really like, like I said, like I, I love this conversation today. Um, um, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I thought we had a great conversation. Um, I'm really looking forward to watching Maryland play this year. I'm going to try to make it out to a game. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show.
1: I appreciate it, man. Best of luck in, in your endeavors and let me know if you ever need anything.
0: And there we go. Another great episode in the books. I just want to thank coach Swope for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Maryland does this season in baseball. They've got a great roster this year, bring back a lot of guys. I had a great recruiting class, as we talked about in the episode that came in two years ago. So I'm really looking forward to see what they do this year. Obviously, with Indiana being in the same conference, I'd like to see them battled out for the Big Ten Championship. Uh, but with that being said, um, I just really appreciate you guys' support. Uh, make sure to tune in tomorrow, uh, next weekend. Sorry. Uh, With Omar Hussein, he's out of Virginia. He's a creative producer, does a lot of baseball and lacrosse videos, done some stuff with Max Clark, done some stuff with Cubs top prospect, James Triantos. So really looking forward to that one. Hope you guys tune in for that. Uh, Make sure to be giving us a follow on the social media to tune in to see what's going on with the JKR podcast. We are at JKR underscore podcast on Instagram and then at JKR podcast on Twitter. Uh, So make sure to check those out. And I'm going to catch you guys next week.